All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that, uh, that you would move in us uh, today, God, that you would change our hearts, change our minds about the way that we view you, God, not because I have anything amazing to share, but because you have uh, an amazing character and amazing personality, God, that you would captivate our attention, that we would learn to be like you, God, that we would start acting like you, that you would transform us into the very image of Jesus as we sit under your word and under your presence, God. Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think every year I get up here and I confess that I'm a bit of a Ebenezer Scrooge when it comes to celebrating Christmas in July, like some people want to do. I don't like Christmas in September or October. I begrudgingly accept after Thanksgiving. I don't openly mock anybody. It's like, it's the day after Thanksgiving and we put up our tree. I'd prefer like two weeks before Christmas, but, I, but I'll, I'll go with it. I say that like as a joke. I don't, I don't actually sit at my home uh, plotting to steal anybody's wreaths or I don't turn into a complete Grinch or anything like that. But that being said, I do think that it's important for us to distinguish that we celebrate two different holidays during the season. There is the holiday that we celebrate the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Jesus. And then there is an additional one that uh, a lot of other people, non-Christians, celebrate with Christmas trees and Santa Claus and, and uh, you know, racking up points on your uh, credit cards, going in debt, buying presents that, that none of us need. Those are, are separate ones. And just like pumpkin spice lattes, there's a lot of different flavors going on in a pumpkin spice latte. And sometimes it's important to taste. Is it the pumpkin that I like about pumpkin spice latte? No, it's not because there's no pumpkin in pumpkin spice latte. Is it the cloves that I like? I don't know if it's the cloves that I like. Is it the cinnamon? I like the cinnamon. It's important for us sometimes to separate our flavors out so we can appreciate one flavor over another. Because if we're not careful, we start swallowing what the media tells us about Christmas, that it's all about like, I mean, just ask your kids, what's Christmas about? I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And if we're not careful, we start going along with, well, it's just marketing. All this Christmas stuff is just about marketing, and it's not. This, uh, the, the holiday that we're celebrating that I want to talk about a little bit today is the birth of Christ. I want to get super spiritual about Christmas. I want to put the Christ back in Christmas. So I want to lay the foundation of, of kind of what we're going to talk about uh, today. Genesis 1, if you, uh, if you want to get out your Bibles, go to the very beginning of the Bible, and, uh, and you'll be with me. So Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless, empty, darkness covered over the face of the waters. Yes, sir. There we go. Hello, hello, hello. There we go. I don't intend to be weird. It's not my fault. Um, the earth was formless, empty, and darkness covered over the face of the deep waters. But the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding. Has anyone ever seen like a, a hen brood over a clutch of eggs? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was what? Called the light what? Good. Way to go. You guys went to Sunday school. God called the light good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. Okay, so if you've ever noticed in your Bible, this is, this is set off. It doesn't look like the rest of, of Scripture. This is poetry. So this is probably what well, was either a, like spoken word poetry or it was a song that was meant to be sung. And these few verses give a model or a symbol of not only the entire sum of human history, but also the, the foundation on which the entire Bible is written. 
we're kind of talking about a big deal here. So we start off with God creating everything. It was in the intention of God that everything was meant to be perfect. He created people, not because he was bored one day. He created people because he wanted a family. It's one of the same reasons why you create people. It's because you want a family. You've got love in your heart, and you're wanting to share it with a kid, and so you create a person. And when you see that person, God puts a love in your heart towards your child. Or when you go through an adoption, or when someone comes into your life and you just beam with love for that person. That's what God wanted to do. He wanted to share his love with somebody else. But unfortunately, Eve and Adam got hoodwinked. They, they believed a lie of the enemy, and the enemy said, God's holding stuff out from you. He doesn't really want good things for you. He's wanting to keep things from you. And Adam and Eve believed a lie. And when they believed a lie, they rebelled and ran from the home. Notice like when you read back through the story of Genesis, God didn't get mad and start throwing lightning bolts. Adam and Eve ran from God and God went looking for him. Wasn't mad, wasn't frustrated, wanted to have a conversation. But Adam and Eve were sure about the distance they wanted to keep. And I think it's unfortunate, but every person in this room has felt what it feels like to have someone break a home. When someone gives up on a relationship or when someone walks out, there is a breaking of the home, and it is one of the worst pains that, that we go through in our, in our lives, because I've got love that I'm wanting to give you, and you are not willing to receive our love, so they break the home. Well, unfortunately, the home that Adam and Eve broke was the universe. Their home was not just in the garden. God put, it, put them in the center of the garden uh, to be a symbol of they ruled the entire universe co-equal with God. And when Adam and Eve ran, it broke the home. Well, in that break, darkness flooded in. And it wasn't just a darkness of like ignorance. The sun didn't go out. We could still see the stars. This was a darkness that clouded our hearts and it clouded our minds. And it's not just a lack of information. It just wasn't that Adam and Eve needed to know more about calculus. This darkness actually actively fought against truth so that when God showed up on the scene and offered truth, this darkness fought against them to no matter whatever God said, Adam and Eve or whoever God was talking to at the time would actively try to figure out a way to prove God wrong. Have you ever met anybody like that? You start talking about Jesus and someone is always actively trying to combat, hey, God loves you. And people say, well, you don't know what I've done. That's the darkness in somebody's heart talking, that darkness that's actively trying to fight against truth. This is a darkness that's so thick, it can be felt, it can be sensed in the human heart or in the human mind. See, when God intends to break this darkness, because he's got a solution, I don't want to, now, like, spoiler alert, God has a solution for this problem of darkness. It's not a doctrine, it's not a teaching, it's not God coming in from the outside and just throwing information at us. He shows up in the middle of our situation because the truth that combats this kind of darkness isn't a doctrine it's a person. See, in order for someone to be taught, they have to have actually some form of intelligence to be able to realize, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I need somebody to help me. Unfortunately, when this darkness hits our heart, we are too ignorant to learn from a teacher. We don't even know that we don't know anything about spirituality. But instead of being taught by a teacher, we can be inspired by a brother. And that's the solution that, that God, uh, God formed out. So I want to read 
in Isaiah 8, starting in verse 20, and this is going to be a chunk of scripture, but it prophetically lays out the problem, the solution, and the ramifications of the solution, uh, the problem of this darkness. So starting in verse 20, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They go from one place to another, weary and hungry. Have you ever met somebody in your life? And we've all been here. Go from place to place, from person to person, from thing to thing, seeking to fill that hole in their heart. And all I do is just spend all my time on earth weary and hungry. The psalmist Springsteen said that everybody's got a hungry heart. He's got a hungry heart. Um, and so people go, we go. It's not just people that are, that are in their beds with a hangover this morning. This is us. We go from place to place, from person to person, from thing to thing, seeking for that substance or that object or that person to fill this hole in our heart. They go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage. Can anyone relate to that? I raged because I was hungry. At hangry, it was a joke. Um, and because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. Have you ever heard anybody like spouting curses at God? It's not because they know what they're talking about. They're hungry. Have you ever said anything when you were hungry that you later regretted when you were full? This is me. Like, I will go off on something and Michelle will be like, have you had lunch yet? Like, you cannot devolve my complex emotions into whether I've had food or not. And as it turns out, you can't. You, you actually can. I am that immature that if I don't have food in my mouth, don't trust anything that's coming out of it. So our spirits are like that too. When we are hungry, we will do things and say things that we would never say otherwise. This is how codependency, this is how addiction takes root in our hearts. I am hungry, therefore I will act on that hunger and I will destroy the people's lives around me. They will curse their God and king. They will look up to heaven and down to earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble, anguish, and dark despair. They're even thrown out into the outer darkness. Does that typify anybody in your life? No matter where you go, everything is always trouble, anguish, and dark despair. Open up Facebook. And it's just like, just can you share a picture of a puppy as opposed to just, well, this is what our world is like. There's darkness, and it's not just the darkness of the mind. It's a darkness of a heart. It's a soul sickness that we've all acquired because we rebelled. We ran away from God. We were the ones that walked out of the home. If we are mad that our home is broken, we have to realize this wasn't God's fault. I was the one that left the home. If I'm frustrated at the state of my home and I was the one that, was, that broke it, maybe I can say, hey, I was an idiot. I want to come back and fix the home. I want to read uh, the next verse, Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless. It's one of the best words in the entire Bible. Nevertheless. Have you ever read through and hit a, but God? Oh, it's so exciting. Nevertheless, the time of darkness will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the Middle East, will be humbled but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, anyone remember the word Galilee? Which lies upon the road that runs from the Jordan to the sea will be filled with glory. He said that like, even though that this is the state of the universe, it's filled with darkness, despair, and agony, 
that darkness will not go on forever because there's coming a time in the future where Galilee will be filled with the glory. So don't be tempted just because you've got a family member that's walking in darkness right now. Don't be tempted just because you are walking in darkness right now that God can't in a moment of time rescue that and turn the light on. No darkness is ever too dark for God. In verse three, God or uh, the prophet Isaiah starts listing off the results of the solution that God's talking about. In our minds, we would normally go, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's the aftermath. That's how we develop our stories. But Isaiah did it kind of reverse. He said, there's a problem, here's the results of the solution to start whetting your appetite. This is the appetizer for the main course. Verse three, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, payday. Have you ever gotten excited on payday? Like warriors that are dividing plunder, verse four, and then you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from off their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. When God's kingdom hits us, we have freedom from oppression. Chains that used to bind us in the darkness break off of us. Uh, verse five, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. We honor uh, our uh, military veterans and people that are in the service right now uh, because there's still war going on. But when God's kingdom comes, there's no need for camo anymore because war is over. Verse six, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from his throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. God's solution is for unto us a child is born. Seems like a weird solution. See, God's solution didn't come in the form of teaching. It didn't come in the form of new doctrine. Did not even come in the form of a new religion. Sometimes that's what we think about, that God had the Jewish nation and then he got bored with that and so decided to create Christianity. That's not what happened. God said, my solution comes in the form of a child. So we see that child show up. And just like we read in Genesis, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then darkness. In the Gospel of John, John 1.1 says, in the beginning, the word already existed. See, Moses in the, in the book of Genesis started painting a picture that when at the beginning of creation, there was darkness. John says, at the beginning of creation, the word was already here. The word was with God and the word was God. See, a lot of the times we will experience darkness in our own life, but it's just because we've got our eyes closed. We feel that there is darkness all around, but even in the midst of that darkness, the word is already present. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created uh, that was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life. Whose life? The word. But isn't the word God's voice? When God created light, didn't he speak it? 
And we find out in John, for the first time in all of history, we find out that his word is an actual person. And later we know that the word is Jesus and his life brought light to everyone. I thought Jesus's death brought light to everyone. So we have a big cross in the middle of all of our churches because the, the death of Christ did accomplish things, but it wasn't the sole reason why Jesus was here. His very life was the source of light to the entire world. When Isaiah is talking about this light in the darkness, he's talking about the life of Jesus, not just the death of Jesus. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So when you hear people talk about like Christianity is under attack, they don't have weapons that can harm us. No matter what any government ever does across the entire earth, nothing ever sticks to us because we're not a part of this world. Light will never be extinguished by darkness. See, the darkness that we're talking about is a lie that has its foundation in that God doesn't actually love you. If God actually loved Adam and Eve, he would have given them all the fruit. I mean, come on. No, love kept fruit away from Adam and Eve. God actually loves us. Cain thought that God loved uh, his brother more than he did Cain. So Cain got mad and he killed his brother. But in the midst of Adam and Eve's exile, in the midst of Cain's exile, they have huge conversations with God. Did God kick them out of his presence? No. Kicked them out of the garden, kicked them out of paradise. God, however, went with them, went with Adam and Eve, went with Cain. Even though that they felt like they got abandoned by God, God was there the entire time. So if Jesus's life was the source of light, what does that mean? That Jesus was like sat and watched a, a football game and all of a sudden all the plants started blooming in the house. Now I wanna read a few verses out of John 17 and this shows Jesus's purpose. And I'm, if we get this, like, we won't be able to understand it just sitting in a room. But when you think about it in your car, I'm telling you, the lights are going to come on in your heart, and we'll have to chase you down over this. John 17, 20, Jesus is praying in the garden before he's crucified. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also all of those who will ever believe in me through the disciples' message. That's me. That's you. You were on Jesus' mind when he was in the garden. I pray that they all be as one, just as you and I are one. That we all would be one the exact same way that Jesus and the Father are one. How is that even possible? You are in me, and Father, I am in you. May they also be in us. Have you ever gotten caught in between two people that are hugging? Have you ever had someone hug around you? That is what Jesus is doing right here. He is drawing lines of connection over and over and over again to prove to you that you are loved. Father, you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us. So that the world can believe that you've sent me. I have given the glory that you have given me. Glory in the Bible means light or shiningness. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be as one as we are one. I am in them. You are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them 
as much as you love me. Does that break anybody else's mind? That Jesus is adopting us. This is almost a legal document of the adoption. This is before the cross. That Jesus is adopting us and saying, no, you are not the black sheep that's out here, out in the outer darkness. You are right here. That Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in Jesus, and that they are both in us and that we are in, in, in them. I know, it's so awesome. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am, that they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. See, a lot, my, my dad's name's Gary, and a lot of people can introduce my dad as Gary, but I'm an only child, and I'm the only person in the universe that can introduce Gary as my father. All of these people might have been friends with God in the Old Testament, but Jesus shows up for the first time in history to introduce my father. No one knows you, Father, but I do. And these disciples know that you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. So we have gotten pulled into this relationship. We have got adopted into the family. Imagine the Trinity doing a big old bear hug with us in the middle and we don't stick out, we fit in. Have you ever not fit in in a group of friends? You know how stinky that feels? But in the middle of the Trinity, we look like we belong. Does that break anybody else's mind? Us with our problems, us, us with our circumstances, us with the weird things that are going on in our heart, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit look at you and go, nothing's out of place here. Notice that Jesus starts shifting the focus to us. I am in you, you are in me, that we both are in them because Jesus is leaving. Have you ever seen someone on their wedding day and their face is just shining? We, we actually use that phrase, oh, their face was shining. Have you ever seen a mother seeing their kid for the first time and their face is just glowing? Well, that glow comes from knowing love. On your wedding day, when you, when you see someone look in front of you and go, I choose you. Sickness, health, got it. I choose you. There's a glow that happens. When your mother or when your father looked at you for the first time, I don't care how nasty you looked, they had love in their face towards you and it made, made them actually look like they were glowing. There was a glory that was found in the face of Jesus and that glow, that glory was because he was loved. He knew that he was loved. There was never a, sh a shred of doubt in Jesus's mind that he was loved perfectly by the Father and has made his face glow. It put glory on him. I want to read in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and this is going to be my last verse. Or sorry, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who believe. This is Paul talking about everything that we've talked about this morning. Satan blinds those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. What's the good news? That you're adopted, that you're loved, that you're welcomed, that you're accepted into the kingdom of God. They are unable to see this glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Some of y'all that love 
putting up Christmas trees, there is a glory in your face that I don't understand because I've not experienced it. But if I ever caught the bug, I might start loving putting up Christmas trees. For God said in verse 6, let there be light in the darkness. That same God has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. God took this shining face of Jesus and planted it in our hearts. How did he do that? Yep, verse seven. And we actually sang about it in one of our last songs. Now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that this power is from God and not ourselves. Okay, so remember when I was saying that this solution doesn't come about by a new doctrine, doesn't come about a list of rules, doesn't come about a new religion. You don't, when you come to Jesus, you don't just adopt a new religion. The thing that needs to happen is for you to look in the shining face of Jesus and to realize you are loved. Jesus knows every skeleton in your closet and it's never once made him go, without hesitation, says, I know. All the deep, dark things that you've got going on, I know about, and I love you. Sometimes we have people on earth that pick us because they don't know us. And when they find out the thing about us, they run. But Jesus knows everything about you, and he still doesn't run. When you realize, I'm loved, there is a glory that comes on your face. So Jesus is gone now. Like, he's, he's not hidden in a closet in a church somewhere. But what Jesus did was take that knowledge of his acceptance and his love and put it in you. And he feels safe in leaving the earth because that glory is now found in us. So there are moments in time, especially through this season, where we forget that the thing that we celebrate was the dawn of this light. Before, we didn't know that God loved us. But now, as we realize how loved Jesus is and to realize, oh, he loves me the same way, there is a brightness that happens in us. And all of a sudden, people start looking at you like we once looked at Jesus. Because Jesus isn't gonna show up and just go, hey, by the way, you're loved. What he's gonna do is gonna send Kevin to me. And Kevin knows that he is loved, and Kevin loves me. I mean, obviously, the most amazing person in the world. It's easy for you to love me. He's going to start loving on me, and I'm going to start realizing, wait a second, I'm loved. And then I hear about Jesus loves me just the same way that God loves Jesus. And then all of a sudden, someone's going to bump into you, and they're going to learn about the glory of love because of you. And it spreads like a virus, not to liken the gospel to a virus, but it spreads through our nation, or not our nation, our entire world, so that 2,000 years after the start of this new dawn, we are still speaking about it in churches all over the world. Churches that don't have a, a Christmas tradition like we know of, but they still celebrate the dawn of the birth of Christ, the incarnation that God, instead of just throwing a solution to you by putting it in the mail, he instead manifested himself. He showed up as a person 
because he needed to model what it was like to live a life knowing that I was loved. It's not just that he died for us. He lived a life proving that he was loved. And because he proved that he was loved, he moves out of the way and puts us right where he was. Does that make sense? All right, so I want to pray for us real quick. We all go through times in our life that we, like none of us know this love that I'm talking about. We will have moments of time that we have like revelations in our heart of like, I'm loved, this is amazing. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, no one loves me, everybody hates me. I'll go eat worms. Like we we all have these cycles because we're fragile jars of clay containing this treasure. The treasure never dims but the fragile jar of clay around it, sometimes we've got broken areas. We've got cracks. We've got bruises. But when you get cracked, all it does is just let that light shine out more. So while you're sitting here, if you're going through a time that you don't feel loved, you feel that God's about to hurl a lightning bolt at you, or you feel like somebody else in the room or in your life is going to hurl a lightning bolt at you, I want to just offer the possibility, maybe, Your feelings are lying to you, and you genuinely are loved. So the first group of people that I want to pray for, people that don't feel loved, and we're going to ask God to pull back the darkness. Just like the cloud that covered our heart, he's going to pull back that darkness, and we're going to have a a moment of time where we catch a glimpse. I'm loved. Hold on to that, and don't doubt in the darkness what you learned in the light. The darkness is going to lie to you. The second person, we're going to go through our day, Christmas season, it's crazy. It's a crazy time uh, to be in America during these next few weeks. We're going to pray that God gives us a refresher course, opens up our eyes, peels back the darkness, that we catch a glimpse of how much that we're loved, just so that we can brighten up our face a little bit, so that when we bump into the person that frustrates us, we can pour out love to them because the world is looking to you the same way that the disciples look to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we ask for a fresh revelation this morning of the love that you have towards us, God. It baffles my mind. My mind doesn't comprehend it because I can instantly start giving into the darkness and giving you a list of reasons why you shouldn't love me. But Father, this morning, we choose to not believe the lie that the darkness is telling us, but instead we focus on the truth. I am loved more than anything else in the universe. I receive the love that you have towards me. Father, help us walk that truth out. Father, help us treat others in our lives the way that you would treat us. Refresh our minds of why we love other individuals in our lives, God. It's not because they're amazing. It's not because they did anything. It's just because it's who we are. You love us not because of our amazing talent. You love us because of who you are, God. Father, we ask for a fresh touch again, God. That you would brighten up the headlights of our face that we would start shining with a new, fresh revelation of your love. Touch us again, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.